today we're launching a new series. I'm so glad that you're here. And especially if you're guests today, you get to go on this journey with us. We're going to follow this family for the next five weeks, the Donovan family, and their struggle with this whole issue of generosity. Because it's not just about their story and how that plays out in real life, but it intersects with our story and what God's trying to do through us and to us and in us in the midst of the opportunities that God puts all around us all the time. Last week, we got a good jump on this with um, Kate's testimony. Little girl, nine years old, shared how she's been selling homemade lip balm in little containers, and she's taken the money she's raised from that to buy little toys and gifts that she can stuff into shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And she's already got 10 boxes herself, and somebody blessed her last week with some money to go fill a couple more boxes. But last week, almost 400 shoe boxes flew out of this place, and I was out in the foyer watching uh, between services, and it was so exciting to see the energy and the kind of contagious enthusiasm about generosity as, as people, young and old, grab one, two, three, sometimes four shoe boxes and walked out of this place knowing that they wanted to be a blessing to some little boy or girl, knowing that that may be the only Christmas gift they'll get. See, Jesus made a uh, profound statement. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And every year at this season, we especially turn our attention to the needs around us and how God might want to use us to help meet those needs. And so we provide a lot of opportunities for us. And sometimes it may feel like, man, someone's always asking me for something. And if you're a guest today, all, all of a sudden the guard may go up saying, here we go again. The church is always asking for money and stuff. And, and to be honest, we are. <laughs> and the reason is because God is. Because God is saying, um, what I want to do for you is so much bigger than what I want from you. And that's a spiritual truth that's hard to grasp and so countercultural to what you hear around us. But what God is wanting to do for you is so much greater than what God wants from you. And so I'm going to ask if you just kind of loosen the defenses a little bit and hear us today and over the next several weeks as you listen to what God says about this subject. Because what you're going to find, it, it truly is. This isn't just church talk. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive. Something happens within us. Something happens that's so powerful within us that can never be replaced by the stuff that we get. It, it's how we kind of connect with God on a deeper level because God is a, a giving kind of a God. I've heard people tell me over this past year in many different situations, like, Pastor, I really found that my purpose in life was discovered when I learned to give. I've heard people say, you know what, God pulled me out of complacency when I learned to give. And, and others have said, in fact, I heard a soldier recently say, um, I'm dealing with my PTSD through helping other soldiers deal with their issues. And that has gotten me out of my own little world to do that. So there's power in generosity, and we want to tap into that. So don't be afraid of, of what we're going. I'm not going to ask you to give anything that you don't want to give. What I want to do is give you an opportunity to partner with God in a great work he not only is doing around the world, but he's doing in your heart and my heart. So the topic today is called first. We're going to look at that subject today because that's where it all begins, first. And so, honestly, the first thing we need to do is just pray that God would speak through his word into our hearts. And there may be something that God needs you to come away with today. Maybe there's one truth that God wants you to latch on to today that you'll take away that, will, that might even change the rest of your life. So let's ask him to do that. Father, we come before you humbly in Jesus' name. We ask that you would work through your word in our hearts to help us to understand that principle, that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. It sounds good, Lord, but we want to experience that in a way we've never experienced before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you if you would open up to Matthew chapter 22. 
Matthew chapter 22, a person who knew a lot about the Old Testament scriptures, knew a lot about the laws, came to Jesus with the question. Here's what he says. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. First, the first command we hear is to love God. And you love him by giving him your best. It says love God, not just with some occasional kind of love or some, some half-hearted kind of love, but with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and in other places in the New Testament, it'll add, and all your strength. What he's saying is, love God with everything you have. Love God with, with passion. Love God as, as the first thing in your thoughts, as the first affection of your hearts, as the one who dominates your soul. Uh, honor God in your behavior and your conduct. Love him most of all. Love God first. He says that's the first and greatest commandment. Well, why is that? Why, why does God command such a place in our lives? Well, if you've been with us the last several weeks, we've learned this that there's this epic story that God's been telling through Scripture. And in that story, we learn that God comes to save sinners like you and me. And so when God introduces himself oftentimes, reveals himself to people, or has a statement to make, he'll say things like this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So not only am I God, but here's, here's what kind of God I am. I'm the God who delivers you when you're in bondage. That's why you put me first. That's why you have no other gods before me. And if you and I were to put this in modern-day terms, it would be something like this. God would say, For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the bondage of sin. Therefore, put him first. Put him first in our lives. He deserves that rightful place. He's done something no one else could. He's done something else no one else would do. And, And he actually accomplished it through sending Jesus to die on a cross for us. When God is prominent in our lives, when we're giving God the best, it will show up in things like time. We're, we're, we're going to give God priority time. Not just an hour and a half on Sunday morning. Not just Christmas or Easter. Not just these occasional slots where God fits in, but the rest of it I ignore him. No, no. God actually is, is dominant in our time. Our, our time actually uh, revolves around God and, and where God fits in my life. And so Time is one of the factors. We, we love God with our speech, for example. It's not something we just talk about at church. Or in the home I grew up on, in, um, we would talk about God at the dinner table when we prayed. We'd talk about God for bedtime prayers. But I'm, th- I'm just thinking of the all of life. Does God show up in your conversations? Sometimes people get bothered when athletes or politicians or actors or actresses bring up the name of the Lord or say, um, they want to give God praise for an award they won or, or thank him for the victory. But, you know, I'm okay with that. I'm re- actually really good with that because God is such a significant part of their lives. They can't think of any success in life without thinking of the Lord. They can't think of any challenge in life without bringing it to the Lord. God is dominant in their speech. And we also find that when God is first in our lives, he's dominant in the way we use the things he's given us as far as material goods or finances. I've been told that one of the best ways to determine where God fits in our lives or what kind of role God plays in our lives is to, to look at our checkbook register or our, our Quicken um, report. Look at that and see where God fits in. 
has got a dominant part in how we spend money and what we support and what we encourage. See, a lot of us look at a story like this, and we see a family who's excessively wealthy. They've got this fantastic pool, huge house. Um, I mean, we're not, we're not thinking like Frank of how to double our retirement investment. We're trying to do the Dave Ramsey, let's just get the, the uh, emergency fund you know, finance right now. That's all I'm trying to get done right now. I'm not thinking of doubling my retirement. That's way beyond me. But you don't have to be rich to be selfish. I, I grew up in a home where there were six kids, and uh, we didn't have a whole lot of stuff, but I never thought we were poor. But we, we shared a lot. We had one little bathroom in the, in the entire house. Mom and dad, six kids, one bathroom that, I'm no kidding, is, is, was just barely bigger than a porta potty. If you had had a bathtub in the, next to the porta potty, that was our bathroom. So there were always lines waiting and pounding on doors. You know, it's my turn. You know, you've been in there long enough. And, you know, we didn't have individual bicycles. You know, I'm trying to think, what did we have that was like ours? Well, we had our clothes and we had our toothbrushes. But we didn't have a whole lot of stuff that, that really were ours. And so I grew up envious of people who had a lot of stuff. And we would go to these uh, department stores and they would have all kinds of stuff. And it was like, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. I'd like toys, clothes. And my obsession when I was a kid was candy. Candy. Because we didn't get a lot of candy in our household. So some of you might remember the days. And I don't know if stores still do this. But they had this display of Brock's candy. And it was like this eight-compartment um, display. And the candy was like right there. Like, like you could reach right there and it was there. And I would walk by it and it was like, Oh, my goodness, I've never seen such delight in my life. And I'd pass by that again and again. Mom's shopping for groceries and things and clothes, and I'm just kind of hovering around the Brock's candy, seeing if anybody's watching, because every now and then I could dip my hand in there and get some candy to put in my pocket. And you know what I learned? I learned to start shoplifting. Candy, toys, different things. It's not, the, it's not just the ridiculously wealthy that seem to think about themselves a lot. Sometimes it's the poor that think about themselves a lot and cross the lines of stealing to get things that don't belong to them. And I was one of them, I confess. I grew up as a pretty selfish kid. Maybe you can identify with Frank in the story, or maybe you're more like Cassie, the, the wife. Sweet lady, offers her house for the missionary family that's coming back, kind of a reception for them. She wants to help encourage them by having everybody give their family something. And so, you know, she's, she's a thoughtful person. She's kind. A lot of you are like that. You're just thoughtful and kind. But Evan is different. Evan does something that, that no one else does. Evan goes above and beyond what's expected in his generosity. He gives his vintage toy airplane, which was his prized possession, he gave his best. And that's what, that's what God's looking for in our lives. How are we given to God? Where does he fit in our lives? Because sacrificial giving is not only what God deserves, it's what God displays toward us in Jesus Christ. In Leviticus, in the Old Testament, we read the story uh, of, of how God called people to make these sacrifices of animals. And that was, if you're kind of new to church, they would, they would sacrifice or kill an animal so its blood was let out. It would die as a symbol of their own life that should be executed because of their sin. But this animal is going to take their place temporarily. So here's the description of the kind of sacrifices 
they should, they should offer. It's found in Leviticus chapter 22, verses 19 20. You must present a male without defect from the cattle, sheep, or goats in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything with the defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. So, in other words, bring your best. Bring your best to the Lord. The best lamb, the best calf. Bring the things. Don't bring the, the defective ones, the, the lame ones, the crippled ones, which actually would be a lot easier to do. I mean, when you come across things in your house that, you know, that TV's not working quite like it should, um, that food's getting a little bit old, um, you know, those clothes don't fit anymore, you know, what do we think? Hey, let's take that to the church. Well, let's take it to Goodwill. Let's get rid of it. And there's nothing wrong with, with that. Honestly, there's nothing wrong with getting rid of our excess stuff and stuff we don't use anymore. We, we just loaded up this big garbage bag this week that's it's got to be this tall and this wide, uh, full of clothes that don't fit anymore, or we don't wear anymore. We just packed it full of stuff, and we're going to take it to Goodwill, and somebody's going to get some good use out of those and buy it for dirt cheap. And honestly, sometimes I shop at Goodwill. This summer, I bought a, a Wisconsin Badgers sweatshirt for $4 at Goodwill back when I was visiting my mom. It was a great bargain deal. So nothing wrong with Goodwill. Goodwill's a great place. I love Goodwill. But my point is this. It is easy to give away stuff that has lost its value to us. So if I want to give something that's not that worth to me, you know, that is not a sacrifice. In, in some ways, I'm doing myself a favor because I got more space on my shelf to go get more stuff for me. That's typically how it works. So people are giving God, through their sacrifices, defective lambs. And I can, I can imagine, here's how the process would go. You know, God's way up there. God, God, God's not paying attention to little old me. We're offering our sacrifice, and hey, go get that crippled lamb over there. It's not good for much anyway. So let's offer that one to the Lord, a sacrifice. But here's, here's what happened. God saw that. God was watching that. And so we read in the book of Malachi, God's speaking through this prophet, and he's telling the people a message. He says, when you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat Yeesh. who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God was watching, and he says, I see you when you do that. You said you were giving me your best, but in reality, you didn't. And I deserve better because I'm the great king. There is no king like me. And people are watching all of the nations are watching to see what you think of me. And my name is to be held high among them. You know, people in the community look at the church, how we love our God. People look at us and how we serve our God. Is it just lip service or is he truly the great king, the master over our lives? Are we truly surrendered to him? Do we truly sacrifice of ourselves for his sake? God deserves best because he is the best. And the thought of him watching our sacrifices is a little bit unnerving, to be honest. And yet that's exactly what Jesus tells us in this little story in the book of Mark. See, in Mark chapter, uh, where is it? Mark chapter 12, I believe. Verses 41 through 44. Jesus goes to the temple. And back then, they didn't pass offering um, bags or plates, whatever we do. We don't, they didn't do that. They actually had a box. 
And when people came to the temple, they just went by the box. And some churches actually do this today. They have a box and just put your offering in. So Jesus, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, it feels a little uncomfortable to have Jesus sitting there, across from the offering box at the temple, just kind of watching. It's like the person that goes to the mall and says, I'm just going to sit on that little bench over there. Watch the people over at the ice cream shop or something like that. You know, they go out a creepy old guy there. So Jesus is there. He's out there to put an offering in. He's there to watch. And he's watching people come. And he sees the rich people. And they're giving. They're putting in. They're probably putting in nice gifts, probably big gifts. And they, they can afford to do that. But the one that catches his eye, the little old lady comes up there. And she puts in these two little copper coins. They're called mites. And they are so small, they're smaller than our dime and thinner. And I can almost imagine her looking in her hand at these two little coins and pausing. Because in her mind, she's thinking, that could be dinner tonight. And that could help me tomorrow. But God's been so good to me. God's been faithful these last 70, 80 years. And I love God. And I want, I want him to know that he's first in every area of my life. So I'm going to put those in the box. That's the one that caught Jesus' attention. Because he said she didn't, she didn't give out of her wealth. It says she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had. And it impressed Jesus so much. He says, I'm going to make sure this story is recorded in Scripture. I got thinking about that, that, that what if... During our worship service, a guy with long hair and a beard walks in. He's wearing sandals and a robe, and you go, man, that, that looks like Jesus. And he comes and sits in your row. And, then it's, and, and he's not even singing during worship, which he doesn't need to because all the songs are about him anyway, so he's just listening. He's saying, that sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty. You guys love me. That sounds awesome. Let, let's see how much you love me when the offering comes. So he's watching. They pass little baskets for the offering. And he's looking at me. I said, mind your own business. He goes, no, no, I want to see how much you love me. Jesus. I'm not swearing. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're Jesus. You're Jesus. So, uh, you know what I would probably say is, Lord, um, you know I gave online, right? <laughs> you, know, you know I did it digitally? I could show you the, the receipt on my email. Really, I really did. Or, you know, but I think some of us would say, I don't put money in, but I give a lot of time. I hope that's okay. And we, we've got our little reasons, but you know what? It would be very convicting to have Jesus. And I just want you to know, he is watching. He is watching. He wants to know, do your actions align with the words you just sang? That you're a child of God. That you believe. He died on the cross. You believe he rose from the dead. You believe he's coming back again. You really believe that, okay? Let, let, let's demonstrate where I fit in your life with your generosity. See, giving in this story wasn't a problem for Frank. And honestly, most of us, giving is not a problem. 
And, and many of us in this room are pretty regular givers. But here's the problem you and I often wrestle with. Sacrificial giving. Generous giving. And that's what this is really all about. And God's not after the money. And he's not after our stuff. He's after the heart. He's after the mind. He's after the soul. And wants to be dominant in all of those areas. And so our generosity is a reflection of where he fits into all those things. God deserves the first and best we have to give of everything. Time, energy, money, affection, all that stuff. He deserves the, the best because he's first. But then he goes on and adds a second part to this commandment. He said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And what we, what we learn is that those aren't just words, that God actually demonstrated that in how Jesus lived out his life. And that we can love others because he first loved us. One of the ways you love parents is to love their kids. And I believe God says, if you say you love me, love the people that I made in my image. Those little beings that walk around, different colors of skin, different colors of hair, different sizes. Love them all because I made them all. And, and my son died for them all. So love them. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. See, we can say we believe in God. But the Bible says if you say you believe but don't help the person in need that's right next to you, that, that kind of invalidates your faith. He says if you say you love someone, if, if you say you love God, and God's way up there and you, you sing and praise, God, I love you, love you, love you, and then you walk past the people right around you in need, he says that's, that's, that's not love. Here, here's how he explains it in a little letter called 1 John in the fourth chapter. It says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. So love for God is expressed through love for people that we can encounter through our lives. We love because he first loved us. It's the, it's the pay it forward principle. It's like we have this cup. And then this cup may be representative of our heart. And God starts to fill it with love. And it gets so full, it starts to overflow. It starts to splash. And, and, it, and it bounces off people all around us and splatters on them. And when the love of God fills our heart, you cannot contain it. It spills out. You can't hold it to yourself. In fact, here's what I find in, in my life and in people's lives. That the closer you walk with Jesus the more generous you become. In fact, what happens is that the, the firmer you grip Jesus, the less your grip on the things that you have. And you're willing to let go of them. And we see that all, all, all through the Bible. We see that widow coming and she's letting go of something that we would probably cling to very tightly and she lets it go. Why? Because her heart's so full of love for God. We find a woman who takes this jar of perfume and, and this jar of perfume is worth a lot of money. And she breaks it open and she pours it on Jesus to anoint him. And people were just amazed and shocked and, and said, why, why did you waste all that? And in her mind, she's thinking, but I want to tell him how much I love him. I want to show Jesus that he's first in my life and this is the best thing I have and best way that I can do that. She let go of her grip on her perfume. And we see this little boy, Evan, in this story. He let go of his grip on his plane because of his heart being full of love for someone else. That's what happens. When your heart is filled with love, you let go of things. You, you become generous. I have to say as a pastor here that um, this past month, so many of you have, have written cards and letters and done special things for the, 
for the staff here. And I just want to say thank you. It really has touched us in some great ways. There were a couple ladies in this church that came in, and they set up a, a long banquet table and served our staff lunch just to say thank you to all of us. So many different ways that generosity has been displayed. A, a couple weeks ago, we were watching football one Sunday afternoon, and there was a message that came through Facebook to me and says, Hey, uh, the Packers are playing the Broncos on November 1st. Are you guys going to the game? And, you know, my wife looked for, for my birthday to get tickets to that game, and they just couldn't be found anywhere. So we just resigned ourselves. We'll just, we'll just watch the game at home, and, and, and we'll enjoy it there. And then a while later came another message. My wife and I want to give you our tickets as a way of saying thank you for all you've done for the church. My wife screamed. <laughs> she said, we're going to the Packers game. You know, I said, hold on, hold on. I said, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? That's a, that's a big deal for someone who's just a diehard Bronco fan to give up your seats to the enemy or the opponent, the people in green. Yeah, that's what we want to do. I said, can, can we pay you for them? No, it's just what we want. You know, I just saw the other day, tickets for that game were going for three, four, five dollars $500 a ticket. That's a sacrifice. Someone who says, you know, we just want to say thank you, we love you. We're giving up something that for us is probably one of our most precious possessions next to their kids. So, <laughs> right? Yeah, some of us know, yeah. Some of you probably would actually give your kids before the tickets, I'm sure. <laughs> but anyway, that's what happens when God fills you with, with love and affection. And we see that in the life of Jesus. You know what? Watch what Jesus did. This is so amazing. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Jesus, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Did you see what Jesus gave up? First, he gave up a seat in heaven where all the angels are, are worshiping him. I'm going to give up that seat to come down to this earth. It's full of sin and darkness and, and irreverence and ignorance. and all. I'm going to come down there. That's a big step down. But he didn't stop there. He said, not only am I going to be a human, I'm going to be kind of on the, on the scale the lowest of humans. I'm going to be a slave. I'm going to be their servant. I'm going to wash their stinky feet. That's what I'm going to do on earth. I'm not going to be the king. I'm not going to be the ruler. I'm not going to be the manager. I'm not going to be all that. I'm going to be their servant. And not only did he do that, but he says, I'm going to even go further. I'm going to allow myself to be crucified on a cross for them. Jesus gave and gave and gave to us. And so he invites you and me to go on this journey to give, to give back. Why? Because he, that's the kind of person he is. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you get to be like Jesus, the more you want to give. And so we have a lot of opportunities that we present during this season. Operation Christmas Child, we talked about last week. Um, and, and by the way, just so all of you know, that we want to go deeper in this series, and we want us to sink in these truths. So we have different small groups that are going on throughout this next five weeks. If you'd like to be part of a group that's going through this follow-up study that goes with this series, stop by the Welcome Center. There's, there's books. There's group sign-ups there. You can get that. If you just want to get a book to take home and study as a family, you can do that as well. We wanted to go deeper. Today, we're presenting to you an opportunity to align with the Springs Rescue Mission, one of the big ministries in our town who is helping people transition from a life of poverty, which is sometimes generationally, it's this pattern of 
continual poverty to get them to a place of stability. And what they're doing is so ingenious. They are partnering with churches, saying, we, wanna, we want you to embrace the homeless in your congregation. We want you to love them like family. And so we're inviting individuals, small groups, large family groups to say, we will partner as part of the Family Mentor Alliance. Now, what is that? Well, rather than me try to explain it, I'm going to have you watch this video as they explain it to you. During a conversation at the Colorado Prayer Luncheon, back when I was mayor of Denver, we discovered that the number of churches in our state was almost identical to the number of homeless families. And I said kind of jokingly, wouldn't it be wonderful if each church could adopt a homeless family? Well, they came back. The, the one congregation, one family model originated from that idea that, that mentors from business, faith, and, and nonprofit communities could help families in crisis, help them secure first month's rent and deposit, build community support systems, and, and provide the other support and hope these families need to thrive. Family Mentor Alliance, for me, is an opportunity to help families who have come across some tough times in their life, help them to understand uh, some of the basics of life that, that maybe they've either forgotten or that have put, in, put them into situations where, where they need some help. It's like opening a window, you know. Where do I want to go? How do I get there? What's the next step? It goes back to, it's a little confusing, it's a little overwhelming. Um, you don't know where to go. Well, you open the window and that breeze comes in and you're reinvigorated. Um, I know where I'm gonna go now. I, I know how to get to this next step. And so we lived with his sister for a bit and then after that he, um, he got a job and we moved into a, mot a motel. And so it was hard because the motel, it's like, like any motel, it's, it's weekly, and so it's like $300, $400 a week. So we were struggling with that, with paying the rent, and then also with food. Like we, we didn't have enough money for rent, so we didn't have enough money for food. So it was, it was pretty, pretty bad. She told us, um, she pretty much gave us hope, told us don't worry, to come see her and have an interview with her. And so we came, we came in, and that's how we got to, that's how we heard of the Family Mentoring Alliance. Mentor to me is like guidance, like they're guiding you in the right direction. So I was really happy with that. When we met with them and everything, I just, I wasn't nervous anymore because they were so wel welcoming. It was like family and I felt like it was family. I didn't have my father and I haven't seen my father for like 15 years, maybe more. And so when I asked Dave to walk me down the aisle, it was like, I wanted to because I Phil, and still to this day, I feel like he's my dad. It was a very choking moment for me to to be able to be a fatherly figure and, and knowing that our relationship with this family has gone more than just somebody who advises them on, on how to do their budgets, but one that gets personal to, to be a, a fatherly figure, and, and that's an absolutely rewarding moment for me. Some of you may have noticed there were some familiar scenes in there. Um, Amber and Randy are part of our church. You're going to see them out in the foyer in between services, but we got to know them through the Family Mentor Alliance, and they were baptized here in, that ch in, in our church. And the very same day that they were baptized, they got married, and we had a ceremony right here. They walked right down this aisle. He's hired now on our staff. He works in our uh, facilities and operations ministry. And we're able to provide for him a family that he's separated from back in California. 
a family that, that had some real difficulties. And maybe you can be kind of a spiritual mother or father to someone. We go by people on the corners, and we see them when we turn, and there's someone there holding up a cardboard sign, and sometimes we wonder, I wish someone would do something about that. Well, here's our chance to do something about that. And not just give a handout, give them a lift up. Help them to get on their feet again and make them feel not just as a recipient of a gift, but a member of the family. And so Amber and Summer, Summer helps lead up the program. Summer Tongue Sets, a member of our church. They're going to be out in the foyer. If you go out the doors to your left, right across from the coffee bar, they'd like to give you more information. There's a training class that will help prepare you to be part of the Family Mentor Alliance. But we as a church have committed financially, and, with, and we want to commit now with people to be part of that ministry. Well, being generous is this. It's showing a readiness to give more of something as in time or money than is strictly necessary or expected. And so we want to practice this kind of living over the next several weeks and really develop a pattern that becomes just normal for us. You received a little card, or many of you did when you came in. It's a, a circle card, but on the back of it has a hashtag. Hashtag is this pound sign, be generous CS. And we want people who receive these cards to go to, uh, on Facebook, on our church Facebook page and write a response of how they were helped through our generosity. But we aren't doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for the Lord. Sometimes we're doing it anonymously. But here's how you use the cards. Do something for someone this week. And if you want more cards, there's more cards out there. Do something of giving your time, your money, your energy to someone else to meet the need. And then just hand them this card. Ask them to check out the website on there. We want to hear the stories. We want to love this community so much that there's a buzz around the Fountain Valley, in the southern end of Colorado Springs. There's a bunch of crazy Christians out there who are being so generous, so over the top, it's unbelievable. And maybe you do something creative like pay for someone in the, in the Starbucks line, the, the person behind you, or you go over to McDonald's and say, I want to I pay for that military family that just ordered. You know, do something that's just, that's just kind out of the, out of the world crazy for someone else just because that's what Jesus did for you. We love because he first loved us.